you, you know, you just can't create what you think because oftentimes, even though we get collaborative with the goal setting with the patient, it's actually still provider centric because we Mm -hmm. tend to drive those. But if you work on driving goals to meet expectations, that's when I think we truly are patient focused. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is Aaron LeBauer and... I'm the host of the show, but today I have a special guest. His name is Daryl Yardley, and Daryl and I go way back, I mean, I don't know, four or five years probably, to, I met him at PPS through my good friend Jerry Durham, and Daryl is uh, in Ontario, Canada. He's a clinic owner, he's a physio, he mentors students and business owners, and Daryl, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome to actually be, be on the show, and it's always great to see you, so thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, you happen to be one of those few people I see on a regular basis somewhat, you know, mm-hmm. where we end up at the at PPS, CS, I don't know if you were CSM, but I just saw you guys up in Toronto um, for Accelerate Live and that was really awesome. So Yeah, it was, it was, you did an awesome job coming up. So, so thanks for being part of our event. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, what I want to start with is how did you get into physio? Like, how'd you know, okay, I want to be a physiotherapist. I want to do um, you know, like, cause I, I, you guys do a little, do you guys do it a little differently in Canada where you go through like your, um, like through university, you, then you become a physio rather than in, as a graduate student like we do here. No, it's, so it, we're much similar to you guys. So okay. we have, you know, for us, you you still have a four year undergrad, uh, that you then apply, then you come into the graduate program. Where okay. we're different though is our, our programs are two years, ma- two year masters as opposed to your three year DPT. Okay. So we have uh, seen some, some Canadian physios actually head down to do the DPT um, for that additional upgrade. Um, but for us, it's, it's very similar process as a graduate program for sure. I think maybe it's uh, like still England and Europe um, where they do that. And, but you guys have the queen on your money still too. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's the confusing. Yeah. And we have different color money too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So did you know um, growing up that you wanted to do physiotherapy or was it something that came to you while you were in college or university? No, I think it, I think it was the same thing as most people, right? We either had an injury or we knew something went through, you know, a, you know, a pretty significant disability, right? You just, you just started to really gain that appreciation and that, that respect for what that clinician had and the time they got to spend with the patient as opposed to the physician visits. Right. Um, so probably early into my, when I was actually in high school, I was, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity through a family member going to PT. Um, I was allowed to, to volunteer and that actually became my first job as a kinesiologist after I graduated. Clinic was run by um, a kinesiologist actually as a clinic manager and probably one of the most solid guys I've ever got to know. And I think that was a key piece, right? Because you, you know, the culture he brought to the clinic is really what resonated with me too as a PT. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I love the whole anatomy and the human physiology side of things. And muscles, bones, and joints came really easy to me. And that took me through university. And, you know, the courses that you pick in your kinesiology degree is biomechanics and whatnot. And, and that was the next phase was I'm going to PT school. Yeah, that's awesome. And so 
you go to PT school and you get out and, you know, there's some different, there's a distance between there and where you are now. What, uh, what were the big like markers where you knew, okay, I'm, you know, you go get a job, but where did you decide, okay, I got to go start a clinic or do my own thing? Yeah. So I would say I probably had an interesting start, right? Because coming out of physio school, I pretty much had my, my first sort of, uh, employers solidified at when I was in first year. Um, you know, things that we actually coach clinic owners to do now is, you know, take students early on and, you know, nurture them and hire them before they graduate. Cause we have such a recruitment challenge in Canada right now, much like you guys in the U S. Um, so I, I came on board and, you know, the only difference was which clinic was I going to choose. So I went to a smaller town, you know, outside, but upon graduation, just like you guys also have like your residency programs. I knew I wanted to go down the orthopedic manual therapy route, met really good people, had good mentors there. Um, but I was kind of a little bit dissatisfied early in my career going, I'm not getting the mentorship that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. But to be fair, I also wasn't very clear with what mentorship I wanted, nor did I, to be honest, I really didn't know. Um, you know, if we kind of fast forward a few years after I finished a lot of my clinical work, I really started to gain an appreciation for what I did learn from practice management and, and actually being able to manage a business. Um, I would say it was about three to five years out of school that I did learn that, which I would have been more appreciative because I would have been less of a pain in the ass as a <laughs> clinician if I knew that early. Um, but I attribute some of my high maintenance, you know, capacity to, you know, my work ethic, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think what I did notice early is that I had a strong appreciation for, you know, lifelong learning and the importance of clinical skill development. But what I did is I looked at that area to say, you know, am I going to contribute and be another clinical instructor? Cause that's how I started. Um, but I realized that there was so much skill and talent in Canada already that I looked back at kind of that first three to five years in my practice going, what did I really miss? Um, and the piece though, is that I really missed the understanding about what I learned from a business and practice management perspective. And that's really what's been my big shift from, you know, running, you know, working in a large corporation, developing a mentorship program, you know, becoming chair of the private practice division for Canada, which is how we all met and really then kind of springboarding off of that to realize that, you know, what I think my true sort of niche would be in this profession to really have an impact and where I think we can do so well as physios is to go back and start teaching the business and practice management side of, of PT. So we can have all these individuals we know go for good clinical lifelong learning, but then teach them the actual, uh, if you, the secret sauce around that and really get them to obsess about patient outcomes and then realize that, you know, you have to obsess over patient outcomes in order to actually do, do well in business and be successful in business. Mm -hmm. Is it because, is it like, did, did some of that become because you were, you, you didn't know why you had, like, is, is there a disconnect between working for a clinic and being a clinic owner and the people who are the employees, the therapists, you know, if they don't know what it's taking to run a business, they're like, crappier employees or more dissatisfied employees or is there something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to it. And you would have seen this too, you know, working with a lot of physios is, you know, we have, we're primarily type A's, you know, we may be introverts or extroverts, but I think the challenge is when we don't know something as PTs, we tend to be a little bit standoffish, right? It's like, mm -hmm. well, you know, if I don't know that, then that's not, that couldn't be wrong with you. Right. And we just, we see that when we interact with patients. 
But I think the same thing happens from a PT perspective related to business and practice management that if I don't really like what you're telling me, Aaron, because you're too business focused, then I'm going to leave and do it my own way. Not realizing, you know, what an overhead cost would be, how hard it is to, you know, market and bring in leads and, and knowing all the different avenues of what it takes to be a clinic owner and, and pay you as an independent contractor or even pay you as a commission employee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it's that piece and, and what I really try my best to do, you know, teaching at the university is get, get our students to understand is that, you know, you're a valuable asset to a business, but you have to, you have to have a certain type of behavior to be valued as much as you, you should be right. and how you can be. So it's really trying to teach this dual respect, but I, I really don't like when I hear oftentimes is, you know, I don't like how that, you know, that physio talks about the business. They're not about patient care, but you know, when I think about all the, the clinic owners that we work with, so we're coaching over 130 right now, very few of them are about the business because if they were, why would they be getting coaching? Right. Right. And that's that piece where you can still see even a, a clinician from a business perspective is still a lifelong learner getting that help. So it's really just understanding the challenges of being a clinic owner that I wish people could better understand. So they're not sort of so quick to become a dissatisfied employee or a challenging employee for an owner. Yeah, I've seen that before, you know, in uh, my, I would say, limited experience working in other clinics, because I, I pretty much only did that in mm-hmm. uh, PT school through my clinical rotations. But it's a year, uh, we did a year's worth of clinical rotations. So I think I did a six month and then a two month in private practice. And it was, um, it was clear to me that the employees, physical therapists didn't really understand the business side of it. And that's what led, you know, they, they were unhappy or dissatisfied with the amount of time, the, the, the expectations, et cetera. And I'm like, but if they only understood like this side, yeah. Uh, Cause I was in between the two, cause I was working with Alan doing business, um, Alan, uh, Lang in, uh, mm-hmm. California at PT innovations and the employees. And it's just like, there's a disconnect. So, you know, I, I believe in my business, like if I, my employees know what they're expected to earn and where that money actually has to go, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to be like, oh, Aaron's making all the money. I'm, why am I going to do this? I'm going to do it on my own. Like, that's right. That's basically it, right? Yeah. And you know, and it's interesting you say that too, because I think most clinic owners have this fear is that, geez, if I don't just cater to this individual, then they are going to go and do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And it's this big threat because, you know, physios are so hard to come by. Kind of, I think you saw the video that Rick and I did. Rick Lau and I, you know, the little spoof that we did, but it really is reality in many cases. So we're trying to hope people can start to see beyond that, you know, that hostage taking of a a clinician. Right. But um, I think what's really, what you touched upon that's really important, Aaron, is, is, you know, being comfortable to uncover what the business side is over here. And one of the things that I remember when I first came down to the U.S. quite a bit uh, with private practice section was sort of the more openness around a clinic owner to at least open their books and share that with the clinician, which is, which is not really common practice for us up in Canada, right? It's like, I'm going to hold these, you know, these, this close to me, or we've kind of gone a little bit too far where people are aware and familiar about the business metrics, but they show them, they show the clinician, the business metrics, but unfortunately that clinician doesn't care about those ones. Right. So I, what I've spent a lot of time doing over the course of, you know, the, the 10 years that I really had to figure this out was, you know, understanding the business, whether it's a corporation or the networks that I was running all the way to, you know, my own practice was, okay, there's business metrics, but I know if I was just to hit these key, what I call key patient indicators, as opposed to just key PIs, I know that I'll have a direct influence on that business metric. 
Yeah. So really trying to get clinicians to realize if you focus on these key things and I want you to obsess over, um, you know, I want to know how many Google reviews you have. I want to know how many family and friend referrals you get. What's your self discharges? You know, is it, are you happy with the self discharge? No PT is mm -hmm. right. But if I look at all those things, I already, I'm already gonna know your business metrics are going to improve. So you're going to grow my business, but I got to make sure that you're looking at the right patient indicators Right. that are correlated with the business metric that you may be looking at. So that's really what we need to do a, a little bit more here in Canada is get people comfortable around the, or focus on the patient very much how, you know, Jerry Durham talks about, right? Yeah. Focus on that. You do a fantastic job in a lot of all of your work around understanding why a patient's coming to your practice, you know, creating that transformation. You're not selling physio, you're selling the transformation and you're mm -hmm. selling this change and through good communication, you get good patient commitment, you celebrate a graduated care plan. Right. That speaks to every business metric any owner should be worried about. Yeah, that's but awesome. That's what we got to focus on. <clears throat> yeah, what do you think um, some of the problem is uh, people's uh, discomfort around money and talking about money or is it uh, something else? No, I, I think it's a key piece, right? Um, you know, and every day, every time that I'll start a, a lecture, especially with, you know, newer grads or the first day that I start at Western, right? I asked them, I asked them two questions. Uh, the first question is, is how many of you have met a PT that you, from a, a clinical placement or internship that you want to emulate exactly like them? Or I, you know, the, the flip question on that is that you don't want to emulate and tell me why. Mm -hmm. But then the next question is, is, you know, cause you know that 75% of the class will end up in private practice is how many of you are comfortable right now in as to, to, create a transaction with, with a customer for even if it's a hundred dollars and no one will put up their hand. I'm like, guys, you just, you're in your sixth year of postgraduate school or right. sorry, you know, after university, why can't you accept that? Like you've got the skills, the expertise and the knowledge to deliver a high quality of service. You have to start to believe in that. So I do think people struggle with that. You know, the other piece that I've seen um, is just, struggling to overcome the objection of, of money, right? Mm -hmm. We know, and I'm sure it's similar for you guys in the US, but for us in Canada, the number one reason people, you know, have a hard time with physio is time commitment. But how you overcome that objection is give them so much value that it becomes part of their life or become, you know, give them so much value because it, it's going to give them back their life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and money's second to that, right? So again, hit the value component and there should never have to be a conversation about money. But, um, but I remember the turning point that I had the most as well as when you and I were down at uh, the fitness summit, Bader's Coolian summit, and just listen to how from a, from a personal training perspective, how well those guys sell value or create value. And these are all people who pay a hundred percent out of pocket. There's no insurance funding, like remove that completely. These are people who voluntarily have made a decision to dedicate their time to me as a trainer, for example, and they want a life-changing scenario to occur. Right. As a PT, what do we do that's any different? We don't. It's the same thing, but we have a very hard time doing that. And again, this is where I think we just, we need a mindset shift that yeah. allows us to be in that same, you know, level of confidence to share how high our competence is. Yeah. I, I remember sitting there at, at the fitness business summit, sitting next to you and Kareem and, um, and Rick and going, God, we're, we're probably like 
for the most highly educated people in the room, and we probably aren't in the top 50% of earners in the room. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was incredible. I was like, mm-hmm. like I knew this, but I haven't been in this environment, and these guys are doing personal training, and they're generating millions and millions of dollars a year in like one location. You know, I know Badris has done like $86,000 in personal training sales in one day. I mean, mm-hmm. and we're afraid to charge $75 and $100 for physical therapy. Yeah. And, and the thing too that I, you know, and I, and I always catch myself now, you know, especially going to conferences that are outside of my comfort zone like that, for example. Right. Um, but I used to catch myself going, you know, Oh, you know, these personal trainers, you know, what do they know about assessing a risk or that? But I, you know, as, as like, you know what, take a bigger stance on this, you know, Daryl, you know, don't, instead of critiquing it, why don't you take a step back and analyze it and say, what are they doing that I'm not? Right. And when you look at that, if we're going to critique that, you should critique it from a self-reflection to figure out how do I do something that's just as powerful and impactful and learn something from it, right? Just because I have a different level of training and education doesn't make me better than somebody else. Right. But I should be looking at it to say, how do I take what they're doing really well and build that into my practice and my brand? Yeah, absolutely. And I've learned so much uh, from the fitness industry about marketing and branding and, and speaking to patients like it what didn't exist 10 years ago for physical in physical therapy and I had to go to you know the training and personal yeah. training industry to learn all this stuff so mm-hmm. and that's an amazing point and it is I mean there's do, they're doing a lot of things right and they're with people right when they get hurt yeah. you know they're they they're there and they're you know people are going hey I've got this back issue how do I you know they go to the yoga teachers what do I do about my back pain what do I do about my knee mm-hmm. they're asking people are asking them they're not coming to us and asking us and that's right so that's where like if we want to prevent injury and surgeries that's like we need to be where they are or partnered with them mm-hmm. that's right that's right uh, I want to go back and um, you said something before about the key patient indicators can you tell us like what are those and why are they so important yeah, no, sure. Them to how do you use them to you know predict uh, you know, growth and and, and mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it made where I started to think about this. I was teaching a course to some clinic owners a couple of years ago out, out in our East Coast, and I had actually just surveyed everyone. And I said, you know, how many of you track you know patient visit average? You know, how many of you are tracking you know patient outcomes? How many of you are tracking patient satisfaction? There was about thirty owners in the room. And no one was tracking anything about outcome and satisfaction consistently, right? But everybody had moved to this piece around PVA. And I was like, oh, 50% of the room is tracking PVA. And I was like, well, what does PVA mean? Everyone's like, well, how many times a patient comes? I said, okay, you know, after an assessment. I said, that's great. I, I get that we can define it. But what does it actually mean to you as an owner? And the room kind of went a little bit quiet. I said, okay, well, how do you use that tool to talk to patients? How do you use that tool to talk to your staff? Because let's be honest, staff is, you know, sometimes the biggest challenge as far as getting them to understand and, and to, you know, to influence them. This is actually a useful tool from patients, but no one was really using it as an indicator tool. You know, and for me, if anybody looks at patient visit average as, you know, you know, I'm coming to you, Aaron, you're my, you're my physio employer contractor. And I'm like, you know, Aaron, your PBA is not very good compared to, you know, this other gentleman, cause he's a rock star. Well, you, you know, that's a huge red flag, right? Because again, there's all little different pieces of, of an interaction or an encounter with a patient that are very patient driven that influence that metric. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really an indicator. Now peel back the onion. So the things that I look at that I would consider as a, you know, a, a patient indicator tool would be things 
um, you know, do you collect net promoter scores? So are you, are you capturing, you know, um, patient experience scores in some way, shape or form? Um, you know, how, how are you assessing in your patients, um, their commitment to a care plan? So basically, are you prescribing a treatment plan after every single assessment? Are you building rapport through every single assessment? Um, you know, for me, we look at things like book to prescribe ratios. So I don't really necessarily care in every case, you know, why are, you know, if you recommended 10 sessions, why is someone only booking four? I'm just happy that a physio is actually, you know, creating that, that reach out to actually try and commit to that because I can train anybody afterwards and support them, but I can't force you to do something. I need you to, to understand the rationale behind it. Mm -hmm. So again, getting to the, you know, can I, can I get you to commit to doing it first and then I'll train you afterwards about how to improve that score. Um, you know, we look at things, for example, you know, what are your cancellation rates? A lot of people don't like to use that. So you can, you can reverse it and call it an arrival rate. Cause it looks like it's a bit more, you know, supportive of a clinician, but I would expect for your schedule to be 90% full. And that's mm -hmm. an indicator for me that you've got good commitment and good retention from your patient. But if you're in the 80, 70%, that's not really good because it's telling you that there's a gap there potentially. Right. Right. Um, and I think what I, what I believe is one of my biggest patient indicator tools is, is are you getting a patient to graduate and are they coming to that last session when you, you know, it's a high five, it's, it's a photo, it's posting on Instagram, celebrating that transformational change of your patient. Um, because then that's what all of a sudden leads to family and friend referrals. Cause there's your loyal patient, right? Mm -hmm. you know, that's what's going to lead to your reviews and everything like that. So really trying to take, you know, of those, you know, six or seven little indicators, what's the most relevant to your physio? Because of all those pieces in there, they will all drive the business. And quite frankly, they all drive your patient visit average. And I don't have to talk about anything that's not associated with the patient. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. What are some of the, like, once you get those rolling, what are some of the clinical skills that you teach to help people improve on them. And what, so which one is the one that's usually the lowest and what are the clinical skills that you, you teach to help people improve, you know, whether it's the, the um, patient visit average or the arrival rate or like there's, there's, there's front desk marketing stuff, but then there's more, there's yeah. clinical skill to this too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a good one. Cause I actually like how you phrased the question too, because I think what we've done in the industry is kind of preface that, Clinical skills are, you know, what do I do with my hands, for example? And we know the power of our clinical reasoning and our mind is so, so important and critical because it really drives what we do with our hands. Mm -hmm. But then we've kind of left this other area around the soft skills, right? So the soft skills being communication, connection, conviction. But a, a good friend of mine, and for people to, to look at lots of his work, is Jim Millard up in Canada. And Jim's been a mentor and a good friend of mine for many years. And, and he gets quite frustrated by calling those the soft skills because he's like, you know what, these are the most important aspects of what we do in clinical practice. So I would say the most important thing that I strive for all clinicians is, is, to, is to work on prescribing a treatment plan. And in that treatment plan, it's all about building rapport and being very, very effective with your communication. And when you think about the communication, it's, you know, we get so excited as clinicians, I think, to educate and the more we say, oftentimes is equated is equates to quality, which the patient's probably spinning going, ah, that guy was really nice, but I don't remember what he said. So then it's about providing them that that treatment plan or that you know care plan tool. And 
And again, in that care plan tool is the identification of why are you coming to physio? Why are you taking time away from your friends, family? You know, why are you taking time away from your kids, right? Or you're going to run from my clinic really quickly to soccer practice and then hockey practice. Um, and then really setting the stage for patients to understand what I can do to help them. And you talk about this all the time in, in, in a lot of your work. But I think, you know, getting patients to understand the value of a treatment plan, counting how often they do them, and then you just watch your, your metrics completely increase. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, is it a hard clinical skill? No, but I think it's one of the most important pieces in order for us to utilize our hard clinical skills is I need to see the patient more than one time because if they don't come back after my assessment, I didn't help anybody. Yeah. Right. What are, what are some of the mistakes, some of your newer clinicians or even like experienced clinicians that you work with make um, that are bringing, that bring these numbers down? Yeah. Excellent question. And I, and in the past, I would have said that, you know, when we left school, we learned about all these SMART goals, right? It, which I don't think I've written a SMART goal since I left school. So I know my profs might be a little upset with me. But, you know, I would sometimes would say, you know, the goal that I provide to a patient, I'm going to decrease your pain and increase your range of motion. However, I think with our knowledge around the psychosocial aspects of, of you know, a biomechanical outpatient practice has improved that. So we're starting to get a bit closer to always providing, you know, patient centric goals. But I think our, the biggest challenge that I see is that we still don't do a good job of identifying the patient's expectations and aligning that to their goals. Mm. Because, mm. you know, my expectation of you, Aaron, may be, you know, I've got a chronic condition of, you know, whatever it may be, but quite frankly, I only need to really be focused on dancing at my daughter's wedding in three weeks. So I, I love the fact that you're going to give me a 12-week treatment plan, but I only care about the next three weeks. So my expectation is, is that you help me get to dancing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, guess what? When, I, when it's all the dust is settled, we'll work on the rest of stuff. <laughs> but, if, but if you, you, know, you just can't create what you think, because oftentimes, even though we get collaborative with the goal setting with the patient, it's actually still provider centric because we mm-hmm. tend to drive those. But if you work on driving goals to meet expectations, that's when I think we truly are patient focused. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really great. So um, how are you guys implementing this in your business? Like, is this uh, like, are you doing like a monthly, weekly review? Or is there, is there a system that sends this information to you so you can kind of keep up with it as a business owner? How does that all work? Yeah, no, I think, you know, if we talk about just the treatment plan, for example, um, you know, I spend a lot of time working with docs over the years too, which, you know, which I know is, it's sort of, you know, different in the U S as far as the physician owned and operated practices for us, we don't see the same degree of that in Canada. So we have to spend a lot of time collaborating with, with the docs, uh, just because of how our system works. Um, but one of the things though, is that people are really comfortable in understanding of the medical model. And I'm a strong believer still in providing the patient with something when they leave, just because I, I know what it's like sometimes when I leave a meeting or someone's left my class and they're like, I don't know, I remembered this of what Daryl said. And then I get an email afterwards and I'm like, Oh, I said that this is what I was referring to. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we, we actually use a paper version, for example, like a script pad of our treatment plan. And my expectation is that that is delivered after every assessment to the patient so they can take it home. They share it with their, you know, their their kids, their spouse, um, and it really looks at what we're focusing on, right? 
have a chance to reflect on it. And it's a good communication tool with my front desk as well. But really looking at that, we track it on a regular basis. So we would do sort of a new assessment registry. So every patient that comes to the door, we track very key things on that. And that, for example, would be, was a treatment plan you know, prescribed? Yes or no. And I'm only looking at the yeses or nos. Um, you know, in that same new, new patient registry, for example, you know, what, how many sessions did you book? So like a lot of your work, I think I need to see you 10 times. What did they book? Book two. Right. Okay. Why did they, why did they book two? Let's dig into that. What could you have done differently? Cause again, it's not about the business you prescribe 10 and they book two. So it's just trying to get people comfortable around that conversation. So we do my first recommendation always though, is that even if you're the owner and you're still a practicing clinician, you got to role model it first. Because if you can't prove that it's successful, then how are you supposed to get your team to buy in and mm-hmm. follow through? Um, even after you started to role model, before you roll it out, is you got to get input from your team. Because they may have picked up something that you didn't that may make their lives easier. And quite frankly, we're in a room of very, very intelligent people, inclus- including your admin, right? Like don't leave them out because it's, it's a clinical tool. Your admin is still part of that team, right? They may tell you something of what they feel from patients and the questions they get asked. And then the second thing obviously is, is begin with a count before you start to dig into the analysis. Cause otherwise you might irritate some people before you really get their buy-in. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Like dig into the, yeah. So one of the things too, is I think oftentimes we roll out a tool. So let's, let's use the book to prescribe, for example, mm-hmm. you know, you do a fantastic job. You, you know, Aaron, whenever you say, I need you to come X number of sessions, your patients book that nine times out of 10 but you bring in a newer clinician to your practice who may not have that same level of confidence with prognosis or predicted outcome. They may not have the same level of buy-in from the patient and they're maybe getting the book to prescribe five out of 10 times. Okay. What people do though is I go right to that individual and they're like, Hey, what happened with that incident or that episode or that patient? You're like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at. Cause sometimes it's better to let people share that information because physios don't like to be, the worst on the list, just like surgeons don't like you don't want to be at the bottom. So a little bit of friendly competition will often bring that person to come and ask you, Hey, Aaron, what do you do differently? Like how, mm-hmm. how do you get these people to buy into your treatment plan? Give them a couple, you know, suggestions and recommendations. And next, you know, that individual goes from five out of 10 times to seven out of 10 times. And it's all about the support there yeah. and, and creating that opportunity for people to learn is so much better than just digging in time after time and grilling them to say, why didn't you do this? Cause they probably have a rationale why they didn't, or they haven't had the support to actually be successful yet. Yeah. That's awesome. How do we give our employees the support they need to be successful? Uh, excellent question. Um, so let me, let me start with this first. Um, you know, knowing that right now it's a, it's a physio a new grad physio, for example, or any physio market right now, because the, the, the actual challenges around recruitment, because we have so few physios unemployed. So our unemployment rate for PT in Canada right now is 0.03%. There's some people that want to be unemployed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, being less than 1% is a problem, but it's sort of that that seekers seekers market. But what I say to them though, is the first thing I'll do is we know that the number one reason or what, what a perk of any position is, is mentorship and support. Mm -hmm. I think what we do that becomes an error though, is we don't know what they're looking for. So one of the biggest recommendations I have for owners and even, you know, that are looking to add someone to their team is 
you've got to ask the question, what is it from a mentorship perspective that you're looking for? And if they can't actually give you a good answer, it's actually a relationship that's at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me is I actually don't want, you know, please don't sit into my assessment. I do not want you to like be breathing over my shoulder. I do not want you to look at all my treatment plans, but I'd love for you. I'd love to be able to pick your brain on a regular basis. Uh, that's me. You know, can we as a group review, you know, case studies once a week, or is it maybe we have a clinical skills day with the entire team once a month. And mm-hmm. that's what I look for, for support. Um, but I think, you know, having this inconsistency or this lack of awareness of what you can offer and what is our biggest, our biggest risk that we have to overcome. Yeah. The one piece though that I would say that I really believe would go a long way from a mentorship perspective and support is, is having a, a clinic owner dedicate, even if it's an half an hour a week, um, to sit down with that, you know, that younger or that new employee to their clinic and just getting to know them, you know, what makes you tick? What are your goals? Here's my goals. Here's where we'd like to go in the business. You know, here's what's mm-hmm. on my bucket list. What's on your bucket list? You know, how maybe there's some really cool things that we, we have in, in, in similarity, but even where we're different, you know what? I can support you on that as well. So I'm supporting you within the business and in the practice, but I'm also supporting you as a, as in your personal endeavors. Because remember, everybody these days is really much more in tune to the business and their personal life, right? Yeah. So I think oftentimes we're always so focused on clinical when we got to be focused on the person, no different than what you and I focus on when we deal with our customers and our clients, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Is there, um, when you're hiring someone, is there a specific uh, or unique quality that you're looking for to find the right fit? Or is it more like, okay, this person's available, come on in? Yeah. So the, so we, we hope it doesn't come to that. Right. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately where we are, cause again, the, the unemployment rate, a lot of people are hiring a warm body as opposed to hiring the body that they want. Right. Um, so, you know, we're always encouraging people to continue to build their bench, you know, have a candidate list, always stay in contact with people and, and sell, bring them, you know, you know, even if you take a student, you know, you always have a list and email them cool stuff that you remember from those interactions because those PTs know lots more PTs than you and I do, mm-hmm. right? So it's just that, that exponential opportunity for recruitment. But I think if you can put yourself ahead of the game, you know, for me, I'm always really impressed with individuals that can just have a conversation with me, right? You know, in private practice, I think what's so important is if I make you, if I kind of put you into a conver- in, you know, in a conversation that kind of puts you uncomfortable a little bit, how do you manage that is what I look for. But again, we're also looking for, you know, do you have the same mindset as me? You know, my mission, vision, and values are these. Do those resonate with you? You know, I have a passion for X. Is that something that you see so we can build the business that way? Um, if If you have a passion that's slightly different, do you see that helping me grow my practice so we can grow this business together? And we can talk all afterwards about profit sharing and all those different, you know, you know, fun stuff, loyalty programs. But I'd rather work on that after. I just want to know, are we going to be a good match? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, the key things that I strive for is, can you tell me what a successful first year looks like for you? So I know whether I can support and nurture that. And that's the second question I want to know will be, where do you see yourself in three to five years? And that could, that will likely change and that's okay. But what it is, is that I don't want you to come in and tell me that you want growth opportunities, but you don't have a three to five year plan because I don't know what that growth opportunity is that I'm offering you. Right. Right. right? That's awesome. Yeah. People are like, yeah, I want, I want a growth opportunity. Where do you mm-hmm. see yourself in three or five years? I'm living with my family in California. 
And it's like, those aren't congruent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's like, Oh, I'm going to do some courses. Okay. Which ones? And then what are you going to do with that? Right. And, and lots of reasons will change, but all that I want to know is that, do you have a trajectory? So do you have a desk? Do you have a, are you in a destination or do you have a journey? Cause I'm more than happy to support you on your journey. And for me, that journey could be a whole new clinic and a new partnership and really a, you know, a lifelong business partner and friend now, right? Like that's really what we're always looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's so cool. Um, Hey, uh, I didn't ask in the beginning. So you've got a, you've got a clinic and how many employees and PTs and or physios and, you know, yeah, like, no. what, what's this, what's this all look like? Yeah. So it's actually, it's a new startup. So the clinic just opened in just trying to think, I think the clinic opened at the end of April this year. So right now it's, it's still um, a one physio operation. We have, we have a, a kinesiologist that works with us front desk RMT. So multidisciplinary clinic. Um, we actually have a, a surgeon that's, that's a, that actually runs clinics and is affiliated with us. Um, and my practice is, is there as well. Um, so, you know, the, the plan will be though, fall, we're already ready for physio number two, cause the caseload's growing so well. Um, and again, it's now starting to build those community relationships. So we've, you know, we're bringing in lots of individuals from yoga programs and whatnot to really create a multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary practice for that local community. That's awesome. And so before this, you were, were you running another clinic and you've been doing some other stuff and then what were you doing and how, why'd you decide to start your own thing? Yeah. So I was, I was really good in, in the early days. I didn't know, but I, I'm actually really good at making other people money. Mm-hmm. Um, and as my wife says, I'm the best guy to not charge people for money. So it's certainly my mentorship that I require. Yeah. But, um, I think, you know, outside of that piece is because I know what I was looking for in practice and, you know, whenever you're working for somebody else, there's always a challenge around what, what I would like to do versus what I, I'm kind of, I have to do. Um, and just the amount of time it takes to convince people to really do, you know, change an operation to focus on the patient experience. Right. So for me, it was about taking what I had learned, all the barriers that I would face and move into a situation where the whole business is really focused around, you know, obsession over amazing patient outcomes and having people that also have the same vision on that and that have a motivation to, um, you know, work collaboratively and bring different skill sets for sure. Right. So I'm good at, you know, in this bucket, but I want to partner and, and partners that are actually bringing others, you know, a whole new level to the game, but we still have the same mindset of that. This is all about the patient and this is how we're going to drive the business forward. So, you know, there's no longer, do I have to convince somebody to think about the patient? I no longer have to convince somebody why I'm going to add another PT because I do I understand the numbers and, and we've got a, we got an opportunity here, even mm-hmm. though there could be a little bit of risk, you got to think about the return on investment. Right. So that's really why I've gone from, you know, working for others and, and running networks in the corporation to, um, you know, owning the own, my own practice at this point. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So when I was up at, in Toronto with you guys at Accelerate Live, I noticed there was a lot of, I mean, one, it was a physio owner conference, but a lot of them um, seemed like they were in multidisciplinary businesses. You know, there were a lot of non-physios there who were the owners mm-hmm. Uh, why is it why does it seem like it's uh, it's easier or more well accepted to do that in Canada than here in the US because it doesn't seem like we have I mean we have like some PTs and chiropractors doing stuff together but there's not a lot of mm-hmm. this multidisciplinary uh, cooperation or cooperative type of uh, environment 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, for us, I think, you know, and again, these are kind of the cool parts of being around in a corporation for so long because you have the dollars and the infrastructure to to investigate things like this. But you're doing a lot of work with the physicians. You know, their recommendation is a one-stop shop. Like, that's what they want for their patients. Um, but again, I think we're getting to a point now where patients are looking for that ease as well. So they come in and they make their point of entry, maybe physiotherapy mm-hmm. because we build such a strong relationship with them. You know, they all of a sudden now trust us with their recommendations. So, you know, for me, I'm a bit of a control freak, right? So <laughs> I don't really want, if I recommend that I want someone to see an RMT or a Cairo, for example, I want it done within the business because I may have missed something that I need to actually adjust to my plan. So I really want it to be an integrated model not just a model where it's like, oh, you ran out of funding, so go see the, you know, go see the RMT because they'll keep you going. No, 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 it's yeah. it's fully integration. But I think what we've seen is is a shift away though from you know me versus you versus you know he or she right to a model where we're much more focused on again what does the patient need. Um, but it, it it has created a little bit more of a, a competition though in our industry, right? So in the past, physios would only go and work at physio clinics where chiros are now seeing that diversity and saying, you know what, this is a new revenue stream for us and we could do this really well. Cairo's mm-hmm. run some really strong businesses up here in Canada, but because it's not their core business, they're paying more because it's an added revenue stream, right? Same thing for PT. Right. Let's diversify. Let's, ex- let's not just have one revenue stream because it's a little bit of a risk to your business. Let's, let's bring in more. Um, and again, it's, it's changing the, the competitive landscape slightly especially around an independent contractor world of what types of percentage splits that people are willing to offer. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. What are they uh, like like when you're hiring someone, are you doing it or or most people doing it like as an employee or are you doing a percentage? What are the common Mm -hmm. things that, you know, like that you're seeing or that you're doing or that you guys are offering? Yeah. So I think, you know, right now, I would say there's two challenges in Canada, right? Is employee versus contractor. And I know how you guys kind of view us up in Canada is that, you know, we're basically like, you know, barbers and we, we just rent a chair at a hair salon and we cut hair and we go home. So that model doesn't exist as much as, as, as I think some of the U S thinks it does, but Mm -hmm. that, that thought process around being an independent contractor in a cash based practice is, is much of the case for us though. And with Canada revenue agencies, so really from a tax perspective, they're really starting to zero in to, you know, to, you know, to identify what meets the sniff test for an independent contractor mm-hmm. versus, yeah, you know, you call me a contractor, but Aaron, I only go to your place of business and home, right? They're going to challenge it to say that's more of an employee relationship. But what we do see is that, you know, if I'm an employee, am I getting paid an hourly rate or am I getting paid on a commission basis? And obviously that is still an opportunity for my contractor. So we're starting to see a bit more of a shift in the employee world because it's it's much more stable for people uh, and it's much more safer for a business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, but to really drive the commitment from physios, we're starting to see the shift away from just hourly to a commission-based because that's really where you can drive the motivation around outcome and the opportunity to make a bit more money right yeah. How do you keep that from uh, encouraging people to overtreat their patients? Yeah, I, I don't, for, for the most part, very rarely do we see physios overtreating. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, we don't do a good enough job of, of believing the value that we bring. And we're like, oh, you're okay. Oh, you're good enough. Okay, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, 
So right. very, very rarely. I think, I think we had some, you know, publicly funded models in the past where, you know, people would just continue to treat. Um, but there's a, there's a lot more, you know, legislative guidance now around that, you know, mm-hmm. our, the insurance industry in our, in Canada right now is cracking down on some of those, that activity. And you know what, when you really look at outcomes, you know, if you're seeing people 20 times on it as an average, that doesn't even meet standard, right? Yeah. Like it's, that's not consistent. So, you know, we're, you know, what, for me, we really look at people that, you know, I would expect a patient visit average between, you know, 10 to 12, for example. Um, and the data would support that, right? Yeah. Um, so very rarely do we see anybody that's overtreating. Okay, right on. So um, as we wind down our time uh, together, what's the, Daryl, what's the number one question that I didn't ask you? The number one question. Yeah. Hmm. Jeez, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, what didn't I ask? Like, what do you know that uh, I didn't even ask about that you think mm-hmm. people would benefit from? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a great question, Aaron. That's, that's a good one. I think the, the question I would have maybe is sort of, maybe for my position, right? You know, how, how do you decide on working with the physio as opposed to just, you know, working with owners, right? Especially when you think about, you know, what, what I look at from that entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and as a guy that you, you know, I was quite risk adverse as a, as a young PT and it, you know, entrepreneurship wasn't really in my family. Um, but I think when I looked at myself and challenged myself as a physio, you know, what did I see as my impact? So, you know, I was able to run busy clinics, you know, um, I was not afraid to be, you know, taking an extra patient even after hours, because I really truly believe in our profession. But I started to look at my impact. And I thought, you know, yeah, I can help a lot of clinic owners too. But for me, I really see the value that our profession brings. And and for me, by going in and, and teaching physios who really want to learn about business and practice management, so developing that business acumen skill, I realized that, you know, the solution that I that I had to bring a gap in our system was to teach that business acumen piece so I can have a much bigger impact on the profession that I truly, truly value and believe in. But again, I wanted to instill that same mindset in a lot of the PTs that I have the ability to interact with. And then my hope is, is that even people that I don't interact with, that because I've worked with, with physios, that a lot of that mindset that I, I've kind of instilled upon them, they're going to do better and they're going to mm. instill it in, in more people as well. So it really just creates that exponential impact that I can't have as an N of one, but I can certainly have as, as an N of 10,000, for example. Yeah. Wow, man, that's dope. That's powerful. That's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. So um, if someone wants to learn a little bit more about you, learn about the mentorship boot camp, or just figure out mm-hmm. like, you know, where you live in Canada, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where can they find you online? Yeah. So I'd say, you know, I've, I've tried to balance my time with building the business and then, you know, spending time with the kids and, and the wife. So, uh, I'm pretty much on Instagram quite often though. So you'll, you can find me there at, at Daryl Yardley. Um, and you'll see lots of stuff around kind of the brand and the reputation that I'm trying to, to instill in, in clinicians there. Um, and then if you need to get a hold of me, it's, you know, Daryl at mentorshipbootcamp.ca and, and mentorshipbootcamp.ca is, is the website and gives you a bit more information about, you know, what I hope to achieve and a little bit more about my story. Dude, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. Hey, no problem, Aaron. It's a pleasure. So thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, this is the Cash PD Lunch Hour. And um, for Aaron LeBauer and Daryl Yardley, thanks for being here. If you got something out of this show, we'd appreciate you leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, even screenshot 
this and share it with your friends on Instagram and Facebook, and we'll see you on the next show. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice, or you already have one, and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And when you get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.